if any time I don't know what to do, I'll what? Cast all my cares on you. Thank you, Amy, for reminding us of that very important truth. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Good morning. Kurt Parker, let's uh, spend some time in the Word this morning. Before we do that, if you have children through grade four and you'd like them to be in an age-appropriate service downstairs, you're welcome to dismiss them at this time to the foyer. Your teachers will take them down, pick them up on your way out this afternoon. For the rest of you, if you would, turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, and we remind you today, as I can, you may perhaps you are already smelling, uh, it's dinner on the grounds today. It is our fellowship uh, evening on the fourth Sunday. Usually we do it in the evening called Acts 246. Since Daylight Savings Time, we've been doing it in the afternoon right after church. You're welcome to stay with us. You're a guest. Please just come. We've brought enough for you to enjoy with us. It's a uh, carry-in dinner and then fellowship afterwards, so we encourage you to be here right after this service. All right, let's be in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 to preserve our time today. Just look straight to verse 21, will you? And I pray that the word is dwelling in you richly today, Colossians 3.16, that's the Lord's command to you through Paul, dwelling in you richly. Earlier there, uh, he said, being renewed in knowledge through the word of Christ. And so that's what happens when you spend time in the word each day. You are renewed in knowledge through the word of Christ, which is why Paul continually commands us to be in the word daily, letting us dwell in us richly uh, so that we may grow in knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are in a continuing study, God's plan for a healthy church, a study through the books of First and Second Corinthians. We are right towards the end of First Corinthians, and so we have been at it for a little while. As we began this section in chapter 15, we were talking about resurrection, really the whole chapter is about that, and Paul begins to draw his attention to the resurrection of Christ as really the basis for everything, particularly this new section that we're in, beginning in verse 21 all the way through verse 28, is resurrection authority over death, and how important that is as Paul draws all these things together for the church. Let's read in verse 21 together, you, you from your copy of God's Word. You can find a New American Standard Bible, which is what I'll be teaching from in the chair in front of you, or... Read from the copy that you read and memorize every day. We'll give you verse cues so we can stay together. Verse 21. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Verse 23. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ's at his coming. Verse 24. Then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom... To the God and Father, when he, is, when he hands over the kingdom to God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power, verse 24, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, verse 26, the last enemy that will be abolished is death, verse 27, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is expected to, he is expected who put all things in subjection to him, verse 28. When all things are subjected to him, and the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. Last time we were together, we finished looking at verse 20, which is where we'll start today. It really is the transition verse between the two sections and topics that Paul is discussing here. And of course, we're going to look verse by verse, and we're going to look uh, word by word, if you will, so that we understand what God's word says, what does it mean by what it says, how does that apply to me. And so we're going to start there today, and after taking them to the bottom of a flawed theology, which was that men don't rise from the dead, nobody physically rises, 
uh, he says, verse 15, in fact, he says this, he gives them this, this bottom, really, as, they, as far down as they can go, this is how it is, if in fact, verse 15, the dead are not raised. In other words, if it's as you say, here's what it looks like. There's no good news. If the dead aren't raised and Jesus didn't rise, there's no good news. The gospel's a sham, or it has no substance. Paul says, if the dead are not raised, then Christ isn't raised, and your faith is a sham too. And we lied, the angels lied, Christ lied, the prophets lied, everybody lied concerning what, would, what was going to happen. The object of your faith, if Christ is not raised, is without power, which means you still remain in the power of sin. Those who have fallen asleep, Paul says, if, if Christ is not raised, are going to prove to have been lost, and we've wasted our lives. It's really pitiful. Imagine all the fighting against temptation, imagine all the struggling with sin, imagine all the seeking to please Christ, all of the obeying of scripture, all of the Bible studies, all of the Colossians 3.16 and letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, all the suffering, all the taking up of the cross, all the ridicule when you're witnessing. Uh, we've done all of that, Paul says, if Christ is not raised for nothing, it was of no effect, it had no power, it didn't last, and it's really, really sad. He didn't conquer death. And he didn't conquer sin, and he didn't conquer hell, and there is no faith, and there's no deliverance. He isn't God, and that's all bad news, Paul says, if it is indeed as you say. That's what it's going to look like to deny the physical resurrection of Jesus. But Paul says, in fact, it isn't as you say. And verse 20 says this, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. It's not so. Christ did rise, Paul says. The opposite of Christians then being the most to be pitied among men in fact, they are the most blessed, and the resurrection alters the whole situation. Clearly, Paul has no doubts at all. More than 500 people at one time saw him together, and then the 12 saw him, Peter saw him, James saw him, Paul saw him. They can go, he says, and ask those people, did you see Christ alive, resurrected from the dead? Paul, Paul says, you can go and ask them. Jesus himself said, touch me and see. I'm not a spirit. I am physical. Touch my body, and you can see that I have raised have been raised from the dead. So, Christ has been raised from the dead. So, clearly no doubts. We see has been raised in the perfect tense again. Not only did Christ rise on a certain day in history, but he continues permanently in his character as risen Lord. That's a marvelous thing to think about. And then this part. It says the first fruits, verse 20, of those who are asleep. So two things to remember here, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more because there were a few questions that came in last week. The first fruits points us to the first sheaf of the harvest. This is Paul in Paul's mind. I'm going to explain it a little bit more so that we have a good foundation here of why Paul's calling this together. Because it really takes us into this next section, this whole idea of this first fruits. So the first fruit of the harvest, first sheaf of the harvest, was supposed to be brought into the temple, offered to God. Leviticus 23, verse 10. You can read that at your own leisure. It really consecrated the whole harvest. And what happened here is this, that the first, crop, first part of the crop comes in. And so to show your love to God, you take this first part, Rather than stashing it away uh, to use for later for yourself, you just take it to the Lord and you give it to God as an act of faith and as an act of thankfulness to him. So according to Leviticus 23, you have given right off the top the very best that you have, the very first that's come in, and you can't harvest the rest until you've done that at Passover. So part of the point is that just as the full harvest could never be made until the first fruits were given, so... Paul's connection is this, we will never rise until Christ has risen. That's his point. Christ was the first fruits. He was the first part of the harvest, the part that was given before you could harvest any of the rest of it. So this is applied really to the resurrection of Christ. So he comes out of the grave. He offers himself to God. We know that he did that. 
And then, in that offering, he secures for us, then, all of the resurrection. See, that's the connection to the first fruits and the harvest. He presents himself to God. All the other resurrections, then, can follow. First fruits was a sign or a symbol of the coming harvest, an indication of what was to come, a thankfulness given to God. Christ comes out of the grave. He is that first fruit. And Paul uses that to say that the resurrection of Christ was a sign or a symbol of the coming resurrection of believers. We are connected together very intricately to, with Christ in that way. Now, this is, again, another part, perhaps, of what the Holy Spirit's point is here through Paul. Because of who Jesus is, listen, he can't be raised as firstfruits, and that resurrection have no impact or effect on the rest of humanity. Just like the first fruits of the harvest was connected and pulled right out of the field of the rest of the harvest, Christ is connected. He is, as we saw in Paul's statements, he wants to declare fully human. The incarnation was a full effect. He wasn't grown in some separate garden. You know, the Corinthian church was separating Christ from everyone else. But Paul says, you know, that's not possible. Perhaps the Corinthian church is saying, okay, well, maybe Christ was raised spiritually, but people don't rise physically. And Paul says, listen, just like the first fruits of the harvest is connected to the rest of the harvest right out of the same field and presented to God, that's exactly the way it's going to work with mankind. And verse 13 says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So Jesus, then, is the first part of the whole harvest of the resurrection. And Paul's going to cover these things, starting in verse 36. Jesus was planted in the ground in terms of the seed that dies. And you can look ahead there real quickly in your copy. Verse 36 of chapter 15. And when he's raised to life, he becomes the guarantee and the example, see, of what that's going to look like for the rest of us. That's Paul's point. Just like that first fruit to the harvest of grain, that best that was brought out of the field first and taken first and presented to God as a thankful offering, Christ is pulled out of the field of humanity, the first fruits of those who are raised. And so Paul says this is the guarantee, this is what it's going to look like. And so when he's raised to life, he becomes the guarantee and the example of what that's going to look like for the rest of us who fall to the ground and die and also rise to life. And that's what Paul's going to say in just a moment. Actually, in verse 23, look at chapter 15, verse 23, he's going to say this. But each in his own order, he says. Christ the firstfruits, after that, those who are Christ's at his coming, see. So you can't isolate Jesus from everyone else, see. He was human, they were human, he rises physically, they rise physically. It's all connected. They go together like the first grain goes with the rest of the harvest. And that interconnection that Paul's focusing on, continues then into this next section. That's why 20 really is the, is the bridge into these two sections. Now, we're going to start this next section with some introductory material. And we may not get far in the text today. Usually we get anywhere between three and four verses, five verses maybe, on a, on a fast day. We want, might not get that far today, but I hope that, uh, Lord willing, that we'll move a long ways in our understanding of this very important principles that Paul's going to introduce right here at the beginning. And these are very important principles for us to stand on and us to understand as we think about human life, as we think about human nature, as we think about whether there's any innate goodness in people and all of those kinds of things. This answers a lot of those questions uh, that will, I think, fly in the face of modern day psychology, perhaps in the way we evaluate people. Now look, if you would, in verse 21, it says this, for since by a man came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, for is in Adam all die. So he says, a man, so he uses the article, and he uses the article for a man in the second one, and then he describes this, he explains what he's talking about. Verse 22, he says, for as in Adam all die, 
so also in Christ all will be made alive. So you know which men he's talking to. He uses the word man for both. So now in just a moment you're going to see uh, that you are connected to Adam and the resurrection is connected to Adam. In these nine verses, really going to get the sense of where Paul's going. And it'd be well to think, as, as we think about these verses, these nine verses, to think of it in terms of navigation. What Paul's doing here is kind of navigating this whole thing and help us help, and explaining it to us. So, some forms of GPS really sourced navigation are found in most new vehicles anymore. And you, if you buy a new vehicle or not, even, a, even a one that's just a couple of years old, you'll find that. In, on most phones, we have some form of GPS uh, software, mapping software that's going to get you to your destination. You can pull it up. You perhaps use that many, many times. There's navigation equipment for marine application that displays on a screen your origin, waypoints along the way, destinations of a voyage, and all the way mapping the bottom and monitoring speed, all that kind of thing. So you, you, can, you can get as complex as you want in this navigation. But what I think is important as we look at this, in verses 20 through 28, Paul's really going to do that for the church, but the origin and the progress and the destination that are being displayed have to do with death. Where it came from, what's happened along the way, and where it's going to go. And so Paul's going to map that out for us in nine verses. Now look at the verse, first part of verse 21, if you will. As you think about it that way, I think that's helpful. Verse 21, for since by a man came death. Now this is not a new topic for the Apostle Paul. And he really kind of sums up a very foundational principle here. The errors in theology of the church, uh, that the dead don't rise, which is why Paul's addressing this. And as we started 1 Corinthians, we've said all along that Paul is addressing errors in the church, errors in all kinds of things. And so it's not unusual for Paul to pick out this error. God wants a healthy church. The Holy Spirit carries Paul along. He addresses the issue that's causing them some problems. And so this is not a new topic. It's a foundational principle. The error in theology that the dead don't rise really reveal the lack of connection, if you will, to the source and the function of death. So, when a man sinned, he passed into a new state, one dominated by and at the same time symbolized by death. Now, we're going to describe that here in just a second. When, when a man, so when Adam sinned, he passed into a new state. This is one dominated by and at the same time symbolized by death. Now, there's a great place to look at this in the New Testament to illustrate and expand and really map out this topic. It's found in Romans 5. So, I'd like you to look there if you would. Just flip over, hold your finger here, flip over to Romans 5. Look at verse 12. We'll begin right there. How many were with us when we were in Romans 5 many, many years ago? Not too many hands, just a few. All right, so good. This may be new material for you. So uh, let's look there, verse 12. This is a marvelous place that Paul really maps out some marvelous things for us to understand, very important things for us to understand as it has to do with death. Look at verse 12, Romans 5, and it'll be on the screen too. And if you're a note taker, you'll find that there's some things underlined as we work our way through. That'll be takeaways for your notes, the indication that that's an answer there that you can fill in. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world. So you can see a general topic similarity here, but it's going to be a lot more complex here as Paul explains it in Romans. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Just like Paul states in 1 Corinthians 15, 21, first sin entered the world through one man. It doesn't say that Adam invented sin. Sin was already around prior to Adam. Adam learned sin from Satan. The Bible just says that through Adam, sin made its entry into the world or the realm of humanity. Now Genesis 2 and 3, and we'll look at that in just a second, just briefly, tell us that God gave one prohibition to the humans he created. 
But if there's one thing we know about the human race through our own anecdotal evidence, it's what? We don't like to be ruled, do we? We don't like to be told what to do. And if you've had children, you understand this very well. Children don't like to be told what to do, and they have to learn to obey. So we don't like to be told what to do. That's, I mean, it makes us smile when we think about our children. It doesn't make us smile when we think about Adam. Adam and Eve into the garden, one prohibition, don't eat of this tree. That's the only thing that the Lord said not to do that we're aware of. So one thing Adam says, and so he goes, and uh, they want to be God. They want to be the ultimate rulers in their own lives, just like we do. And so that was really the essence of the temptation, wasn't it? Satan, who wanted to be like God, comes and tempts Eve, and he wants, to, and she wants to be like God, and, and Adam wants to be like God, and when they succumb to the temptation, everything changed, see? And maybe it's unknown, perhaps, and, and we don't see any place in Scripture, if Adam felt anything right at the moment that he ate the fruit, maybe he did. It was a cataclysmic change for the human race. We know for sure that he was aware of a few things, the state of his undress, uh, the fear of talking with God, and so he hid, uh, perhaps caused by shame, which would be a new emotion for he and Eve. But whether he felt anything else, we don't know. But what we do know is that when Adam sinned, everything did change. Sin affected all of creation when it entered into the human stream. And Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians 15, 21, for since by man came death. So Paul doesn't say sin came into the world through Adam. He just says, by man came death. He summarizes it. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam, all die. And so God said it to Adam in this way. In, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, he says to Adam, then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you'll eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So sin has made everything difficult for you, God says, uh, and ultimately it would result in your physical death. Now just think about that for a second. The terror and the worry and, and that plagues everyone who's ever lived this fear of death, the thing that everybody tries to avoid and does their best to put off, was first felt by Adam and Eve at this moment. And God says, you are going to return to the dust. And Romans chapter 5, 12 says this, Therefore, just as, just through, as, as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. So Adam's sin brought a physical and spiritual change to him and to everyone who would follow him. That which had been pure, that which was unstained by disobedience, that which had been innocent of any guilt factor, was now stained and now corrupted instantly. Now, when we read in Romans 5.12, therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world, when it says sin, it's not talking about deeds of sin, okay? Certainly, Adam's deed of rebellion was the beginning of that, but here it's speaking of the nature of sin. So, the nature of sin as part of the human experience entered the world. In the heart of everyone born after Adam is this nature of sin. And the way you can think about that is when Adam sinned, he really was the whole human race. He and Eve, that's all there were. And so when he sinned, the whole human race was polluted, and everyone who came after was polluted as well. The Bible tells us that very clearly. 
Every human life comes from him, and the Bible says that when his nature was polluted by sin, that set up every descendant of his to be polluted by sin. So what does that mean for us? Let's sum up a few very important principles as you think about this position that we're all in. First, sin entered the world through one man. Sin entered the world through one man. He didn't originate it. He was taught how to do it, and he did it. And this second point, the second one, which Paul focuses on in 1 Corinthians 15, 21, but which Paul plots for us really in the second part of Romans 5, is and death through sin. So the second consequence of sin entering the world, where sin entered the world, is this this consequence of death. So the consequences of sin entering the world, when sin entered the world, that consequence was death. So simply as an explanation of Genesis 3.19, that we read a few moments ago, till you return to the ground. So Adam is told by God. You're going to return to dust from which you were made. And so death then was in his future. When sin came, so did its penalty. Just like we have a sin principle, we also have a death principle, and they go together. Now, back in Genesis 2.17, God had warned Adam and Eve of this consequence. He actually said it beforehand. When he gave them a prohibition, he said in verse 17 of chapter 2, he says, But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat from it, you will surely what? Die. So he's very clear about that, okay? Death came as a penalty, a consequence of rebellion, of disobedience. So death entered the world through sin. It's, it, it is the certain consequence of the rebellion that entered Adam's heart. And we're going to see this in just a moment. Adam's sin brought disaster, not only on himself, but also on all of his descendants. And Paul, point, Paul points in, in connecting his first fruits to the rest of the harvest, see? And Adam was the first fruits of sin. And so Adam was the first presentation of sin, and everyone else then followed in his footsteps, okay? And everybody else, all of us, everyone that came after Adam were the rest of the harvest. Adam was the first fruits of sinfulness, and everybody else is the, is the, is the rest of the harvest. And if Adam's sin had far-reaching consequences, so had Christ's resurrection. That's Paul's whole point as he works his way through 1 Corinthians 15. So it concerned not only himself, but those who should believe in him. Just as death came into the world through Adam, so life came into the world through Christ. See, Paul repeated through a man's points to the reality you know, of the incarnation. Christ was truly a man, as was Adam. It was fitting then that, as through a man, that corruption entered the race, so it would be through a man that it was overcome. So everybody, it's all interconnected here, see? First fruits of sin, and the rest of the harvest. First fruits of the resurrection, and the rest of the harvest. It's all connected. Now back to our topic. Scripture teaches us that there is a solidarity in, in the penalty. Sin and death go together. And as a result, Hebrews 9.27 says to us, it's appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. The sin principle and its consequence are there. Now look at Romans 5.12 again. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin. Pause right there. The main thought we saw last week continues here. By one man, sin, sin nature, entered the world, and we inherited it. And then we have this next principle, following that same thought. Death, then, is not a result of personal acts of sin. Now think about that for a moment, okay? Death is not a result of the personal acts of sin. Has everyone committed overt acts of sin? Has everyone who dies rejected Jesus Christ and chosen unbelief? Lying, cheating, stealing, all of that? Not necessarily, right? Some people aren't able to choose to do that. Or understand those things, perhaps because they're not able to comprehend it as an adult, or perhaps they're a child and they can't comprehend it. 
See, but they still die, don't they? So, so it's, it's important to understand that death is not a result of personal acts of sin. Death is a result of us being the rest of the harvest of Adam's original sin. See, we are part of that. We're part of Adam's descendants, and death is a result of that. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So here's our next principle. Everyone is classified as sinning in Adam. So it just follows. We've already implied it. Here it is. Everyone's classified as sinning in Adam. It's not personal acts of sin that death is the result. We are connected to Adam and Adam's sin. So when the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, and in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin and death we, is death, we can understand, considering 1 Corinthians 15.21 and Romans 5.12, verse 12, that we are not classified as a sinner because we sin. We sin because we're a sinner. Perhaps you've heard that before. That is the actual fact of the matter. We sin because we're a sinner. Because everyone has inherited that sin nature and the penalty that goes with it. And we just prove that that's the case when we sin. So, just to break it down. We're not untruthful because we told a lie. We told a lie because in our hearts we are what? Untruthful. That's who we are, see? Those are the seeds that came from Adam. Those who kill are not murderers because they kill. They kill because in their hearts they are what? Murderers. So are the seeds of death in every single person's heart, everyone who's ever been born. That's exactly what Jesus said as he's talking to the religious leaders who are so worried about what they're going to put in their mouth and whether or not their hands are clean. He says this to them in Mark 7, 21. For it is from within, out of the heart of man, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, Deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Verse 23, all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. That's the sin nature, beloved, see? You know, you're not going to die because you do acts of sin. You're going to die because you're connected to Adam. And in your heart is a seed of every known sin, you see? Everyone is in need of deliverance. Everybody. That's the sin nature. It's at work in the heart, producing sins. And Romans 5.19 really just restates God's position on Romans 5.12. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made, what? One man's disobedience, who were made sinners? Everybody else, see? Everybody else. You didn't have a choice. You came into the world, and that's the way you are. And that's the way I am as I come into the world. So death reigns over sin, because where sin is present, death reigns. So when God said, you will surely die, you and everyone else who comes after you, see? Now, Romans 5.12 again. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Now, this is going to tie in to what we looked at when we began to examine really the power and authority of the resurrection. That the Holy Spirit is going to carry Paul along and he's going to expound on this in Romans and 1 Corinthians 15. But when God warned Adam back in Genesis 2.17, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die, what kind of death did it produce 
And I think that's very important. We just barely skimmed over this last time, but I think it's important to point this out, okay? What kind of death did that produce? First, spiritual death. And how do we know that? Well, when Adam sinned, did he die physically right there at that moment? As soon as he ate of the fruit, did he hit the ground dead? No. So obviously there was more in God's comment the day, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. There's going to be more to death than just physical death. Because on the day you eat it, he says, you will die. So the Lord's word is always true. So what kind of death then occurred at that point? Spiritual death. What does spiritual death mean? Well, in a word, separation. Spiritual death is a separation from the living God. So Adam... And Eve, at that precise moment that they ate, were separated from the living God. They used to have fellowship with him and be connected to him, but they were separated spiritually at that point. And everyone who follows, you and I, separated from the living God at birth. Now that's illustrated from, for us, from Paul, and we're just, we'll go through this slowly so that you can see this connection. And you've read these verses, but as you understand what happened at the beginning, these verses take on this wonderful new meaning and weight. Paul says this in Ephesians 2.1. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? Because on the day that you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. And because we're Adam and Eve's descendants, we are dead too. And so Paul just says, you were what? So he's speaking to believers, but you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Now, were you physically dead? No, you were alive. But you were spiritually dead, weren't you? Separated from God. That's, that's the past of every single believer. That's true about everyone who's come to faith in Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You weren't good enough, so the guy looked at you and said, oh, well, they're pretty good. I'll go ahead and bring them in because they got good promise. They're showing good promise. No, you were dead. I was dead. Everyone's dead in their trespasses and sins. Paul says, and you were, as you read this, dead in your trespasses and sins. Verse 2, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. You used to walk in it because you were it. See, that defined you. Death, separated from God spiritually. You used to walk in that, and you were in perfect agreement with the world. We've said this, I've said this to you a dozen times. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you were in perfect agreement with your body, which loved the world, and perfect agreement with the world. Everything, there was no conflict there, see? Everything went along just fine. I mean, you might feel bad if you got really bad. I mean, I think, ah, that's not really good. That didn't look good on me. It didn't reflect well on me, this little thing that I did. But in general, you were in perfect agreement with the world and with the flesh. The only conflict comes is when you become new on the inside, and then you're still clothed in this old flesh, and now you got all kinds of conflict, right? So I throw my hat in the ring with everybody who struggles with sin in the flesh, because that describes us now. The true you is hidden with Christ, alive in Christ. But you're still clothed in the flesh, and you're still in the world, and now there's all kinds of conflict, because now you don't want to do what the world does. Now you want to do what God wants you to do, see? So that describes now the new life. But the old life was, you were dead, see? And you walked in that way according to the prince of the power of the air. Just like Satan wanted you to, he's in charge of everything, and you were in perfect agreement with everything that he said to do. The spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. So the spirit that still works in the world. So it shouldn't surprise you as you read what's going on in the world, that it's like, oh my word. And, and you can really see it clearly now, and the longer you're in the faith, the more you can see the spiritual dynamic of everything that's going on, and all the arguments... You know, as you, as you run up against the abortion industry above uh, any other ones, you run up against the abortion industry, and you understand all the, all the medical facts there, and you still have people say, well, it's just a choice. It's just, it's ludicrous, right? I mean, it doesn't make any logical sense. 
And yet, so you can see this whole spiritual darkness and death that's at work in the lives of those who don't believe. And they've been blinded. And they walk that way, see. Spiritually dead. But you were still walking around, right? And I think the key verse to understand spiritual death may be Ephesians 4, 18, so just a couple of verses later. And I'll read the precursor, the one that I wanted to put as an example because it was so long. Verse 17 says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded, here it is, excluded from the life of God. You were excluded. Why? Because you're spiritually dead. You're separated from him. There's no life of God in you. When you were born and until salvation, you're spiritually dead, excluded from the life of God, see? Because of the ignorance that is in them. They don't even understand because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. That's the key. Excluded from the life of God. You're dead spiritually, separated from him. See, You don't have any spiritual life. You're alive to the world. You're alive to the physical dimension. See, You're alive to the things of man. You're in agreement with the prince of the power of the air, but not alive to God. Spiritually dead. And it happened the moment that Adam rebelled. That's why I always wonder, did Adam feel anything at that point? He became spiritually dead. And the symptoms then became there, were there, the shame that he felt and hiding from God and seeing he was naked and his wife was naked and they were embarrassed. And there's a whole bunch of symptoms of being spiritually dead, see? But I don't know if he felt anything, but the bottom line is that he became spiritually dead. And the second kind of death it produced was physical death. And physical death is separation from the living. So spiritual death, separation from God. Spiritual, physical death, separation from the living. And that is in the future, of course, but inevitable as well. Death is that king of terrors from Hebrews chapter 2 that Hebrews talks about. Okay, so physical death was the first one, separation from the living. It's in the future. Uh, or second one, it's separation from the living. It's in the future, but inevitable. Now, Genesis chapter 3, 19 that's what the Lord was talking about here when he said, you're going to return to the dust. So he says this, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you're going to return. So death is that great enemy. Hebrews 2 says, holds every man in fear of slavery. See, every man works against death. Every man fears death. See, and of course, it's amazing how people are mostly afraid of physical death and do everything to ward it off when they should be most afraid of Spiritual death, see. And that's Jesus' very comments, again, to the spiritual leaders. He says this, Don't fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The thing to fear is spiritual death, but the thing that everybody fears is physical death. In fact, they walk along in their life as if everything is perfectly fine when they're spiritual, spiritually dead. And it can be really deceiving. You know, if you're really wealthy and things are, are around you just like you want, that's why it's so hard, Jesus said, for a wealthy man to come to faith. Why? Because he has everything just as he wants it, and everything seems to be really great, except he's spiritually dead, and he doesn't even realize it, see? The thing to fear is spiritual death, but everybody's afraid of physical death. Now, that's the deadly, most deadly kind of death is spiritual death, which is already a reality in the life of the unredeemed. And left untreated leads to the third kind of death that the Lord was talking about, and that is eternal death. So spiritual death 
was the reality that happened as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, passed on to everyone, physical death, see, is that physical reality that we experience regularly throughout our life that reminds us that things are not as they should be. That's not what the Lord planned, see. Physical death is that very sad reminder that we are all dead, see. And physical death just shows us that. Eternal death is eternal separation from the living God and the living forever. So spiritual death, separation from the living God. Physical death, separation from the living. And eternal death is separation from the living God and the living forever. And that is simply the forever state of the two previous ones. So physical death forever, spiritual death forever. Okay? So where you're separated from the living God and separate from those who are physically living. Now, we know that there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. Those who rejected Christ, those who didn't make the decision to follow Christ, to commit themselves, call upon the name of the Lord, confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. We know there's going to be a resurrection of those. They'll be given a body to live in a perpetual state of dying forever. And they will be with those who are eternally dying forever, apart from God, forever in hell. Great white throne judgment, Revelation 20 talks about that. John chapter 5, verse 28 says this, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the grave will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of, the condemn of condemnation. That doesn't mean that you did good and you earned it. It doesn't mean that you did poorly and you and you earn death. It just means you indicated by your life who you were. See? The general pattern of your life was to follow the Lord, or the general pattern of your life was to do what you want, and in general, that's the way it can be determined. Don't marvel, John says. The hour is going to come when all of them, who, there's only two categories in the whole world, all who've ever lived, all who will ever live, those who will be resurrected to death, eternal death, and those who will be resurrected for the eternal resurrection to life. So John, uh, Romans 5.12 again. So you have this eternal death. And Romans 5.12 says this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So we come into the world then, just to kind of sum it up, spiritually dead. We come into the world headed for physical death. And if something doesn't happen to make us spiritually alive, headed for spiritual death. That's how it is. So how'd that happen? You know, one man, you know, one man did that to the whole human race. And you may say, well, you know, if I'd have been there, that wouldn't have happened, right? That's a fair argument. I mean, I would have been way more wise than Adam. I mean, people can say that, yeah. And I'm sure as Adam looks in hindsight, five minutes after he did it, if he had to do it all over again, he would say, I wouldn't have done that. There was no way to fix that at that point, was there? Psalm chapter 51, verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother conceived me. It doesn't, doesn't mean that there was some infidelity going on. It just means that I was forth, brought forth. When I came into the world, I was already in iniquity. And those babies are so cute. We say this all the time. They're so sweet. They look so innocent. But they're not. They're just little miniature versions of you. Okay? And in their hearts are the seeds of every known wickedness known to mankind. They are born dead. Okay? And they have to be taught by you. First of all, to obey you and submit to you, and then by teaching that, they will admit, uh, we pray that they will come to submit to the Lord. You don't have to teach a baby how to disobey, it just starts that way, because that's a result of the seed of Adam, see? 
Psalm 58.3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. Those who speak lies go astray, astray from birth. See, the sin nature is at work from the very start of life. And it just illuminates the stark reality of spiritual death. So don't let it surprise you when your little one gets old enough to tell you a lie. And they will tell you a lie. And if they can get away with it, it will become the pattern of their life. When our boys were young, if they disobeyed us, they did a spanking. And if they lied in disobeying us, they got another one for that. Because it's two separate problems, isn't it? Disobedience and lying to cover it up. So very important. It just goes astray from birth. Why? Because that's who you are when you're born, see? Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Only the Lord understands it. We, we are fooled regularly, aren't we? So, Paul begins this section on this resurrection authority. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. For since by man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as an animal die, so as in Christ all will be made alive. It's important to have a solid foundation. If every man and woman who have ever been born are characterized by the sin nature, then it's not surprising that Jesus had to be different. Right? So the questions. Why did Jesus have to be born of a, vir a virgin? Well, he had to bypass a human father, didn't he? Because otherwise, we'd have the same problem that everybody else has. Correct? He would have been born with that inheritance in nature from Adam. And so we have the obvious but no less wondrous answer that he had to be created in the body of Mary, bypassing the human race. Otherwise, he'd been born a sinner. Is the virgin birth important? It's very important when you understand how this whole thing works. Verse 21 says, For since by a man came death, and for as in Adam all die. There are some other questions that come up with the passage. Things like, how is it that I sinned in Adam and I wasn't even there? Which begs a corresponding question. Did I die with Christ and rise again? Was I there when that happened? Why do I get the benefit? See? And that's not an answer, beloved, but that corresponds and balances it out, doesn't it? You weren't there in Adam. But you prove by your disobedience every day, right? First of all, that you have a sin nature, but that you have that same idea that you don't want to be ruled. How about this question? Is it really fair that I get charged with sin when I'm, when I'm born? I mean, I didn't ask to be born. I didn't ask to have two sinners as parents. Thanks a lot. Corresponding question is, is it fair that I get to live when I didn't taste death on a cross? Is it fair that millions receive salvation when they didn't know they even needed it? While we were still in sin, Christ died for us. See, we were still his enemies. Is that fair? No, it's not. It's God's gracious love towards us poured out to mankind, isn't it? And those are not answers, I know, but they are other questions that are somewhat comforting. And what we're going to see is this. See, Adam's sin was legally and effectively our sin. And Christ's death, see, that's why it's all connected, was legally and effectively our death. That's what the Bible says. So we can accept it as one of those marvelous truths that we really don't fully understand. We can say the words and we can start to grasp the concepts, but they are way beyond us, aren't they? And one of the marvelous things I think in, it will be part of the eternal state is we get to examine that all the more and understand it much better than perhaps we do now. Hebrews 2.14 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, it's a great illustration of what we just talked about, why Jesus had to come and do what he had to do, he himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise also partook of the same. Why did he do that? Why a baby? That through death 
he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, the one who originated sin and taught it to Adam and Eve, see, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. So he came and participated in physical human form in the way that the Lord ordained it so that he could be born of a virgin and live a sinless life because he didn't have that sin nature passed down from Adam. And so he was able to do that, participate like we did, so that he could be that deliverance that we needed. So you can't isolate Jesus from everyone else, see? God had to come in hu- into the human realm, and he had to have flesh and blood, and he had to be, in every respect, the second Adam, see? And he had to live a life of a man, but without sin. And he came then to set you free from the fear of death that we were subject to in slavery all of our lives. See? And if you came to Christ as an adult... You probably remember that. If you came to Christ as a child, perhaps you'll understand that more as you grow in your relationship with the Lord, grow in the grace of knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You'll understand more about that, that fear perhaps you could have had but were spared from because you were delivered. And we're going to quit because we're out of time, but we're going to look at those marvelous things next week. Lord willing, we're going to look at the second half of verses 21 and 22. This part that's so amazing, which says this. By man also came the resurrection of the dead, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Those are marvelous thoughts. And as the Holy Spirit maps out, really displays for the church, the origin, the progress, and the destination of death, where it came from, what's happened along the way, and where it's going to go. Christ, the resurrection, which is the authority over death. That's what we're looking at now. Lord willing, we'll look at it again next week. Let's bow and be dismissed in prayer. We have a missions moment, which we're excited to have, so let's, let's uh, commit our way to the Lord. Lord, we thank you today for an opportunity to just do what believers have been doing for 2,000 years, is just come and read your word, have fellowship together, to sing songs of praise to you, lifting them up, to give of what we have materially, recognizing that you're the giver of all those things. We recognize that principle in so many places. We worship you in all those ways worship you in prayer time, submitting ourselves to you, recognizing you're the authority over us. We claim no authority, and we claim our hope only in you. You believe in so many things, Father, that your word says. Thank you for the song we sang today uh, that just describes for us the things that we understand to be true. Thank you that uh, you've made them clear in your word, that you used the Apostle Paul, carried him along in Romans 5, and of course in 1 Corinthians 15, to help describe for us the power of your resurrection, that it may not ever get old. That like the stars, we forget to look at every now and for long periods of time. When we look up, we're amazed. Help us to look up. As Paul said and gave us the gospel and how important it is, the simple gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. Help us to see the marvelous power in that plan of yours, which provided for us an escape from inescapable death, really. From spiritual death to which all were born, from physical death to which all are headed, and spiritual death, which untreated, will be the final destination of everyone who's ever lived. Thank you for the good news. Thank you for being able to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Thank you that you are a saving God. It's not your will that any perish, but all come to the knowledge of salvation. We thank you for those things. And the call goes out again today. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from spiritual death? Perhaps if the rapture comes from even physical death, 
and certainly from eternal death. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Help us to be born twice. The second birth, the one that Lazarus, the one that uh, uh, John 3 talks about, Nicodemus had so many questions about. A spiritual rebirth, which will lead to a physical resurrection to life. You'd like to know more about that if you prayed that prayer today let us know by the card that's in front of you in the chair we'd love to know more about your background that we can pray for you and help you give that to me before you leave today don't let the moment pass by where again the holy spirit makes this call to you we don't know how long you have and that's not that's not a threat nor is it a way to make you feel badly or play on your emotions the fact of the matter is that our our lives are like a vapor that appears for a little moment and then is gone we don't get any guarantee of long life or long years. And so we don't presume on the Lord that some other time we can do this and then go on in our sinfulness. And so let me encourage you to make that commitment to him today. Call on him while he can be called on and while he's near and before you have to face him as judge. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and all of God's people said, amen.